And he calls himself, he says, I am the light of the world. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I said last week how much I love bread. Well, I like light also. You know, I'm one of those guys that I love to have it bright no matter where I am. I like to have lights on. If I'm walking through the house, if I go down the hallway just to get to the other end, I will turn the light on just to make sure that I can see, you know. I love light. Yesterday, I was in the kitchen, and, and I turned the light on and to do some stuff, and I went to the pantry, and by the time I got out of the pantry, Barb had already been over and turned the light off. I don't know what the deal is, but there's something about, I just love light. I, no matter where I am, I, would have, I could sleep at night with all the lights on. I have no problem with that whatsoever, okay? And, and, and even sometimes, um, let's just face it, I, and I think I've said this before here, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark, all right? It, all, this, all these years, and I'm still afraid of the dark, and sometimes I have to come out here at night, and I don't like coming out here at night. During soccer season this last year, you know, it was pretty dry, and I had to, to water the fields and things, and sometimes I'd come out like at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night to turn off the water and or move the sprinklers. And um, so what I would do is I'd drive in, and I'd get my car positioned towards the, the, the soccer fields, and I'd turn my bright lights on, and, and I tried very calmly, you know, just to kind of walk out there. I'm not scared of the dark, you know. By the time you get out to the very far fields, there's no more light from your car lights out there anymore, you know? So I'm very rapidly changing the, the sprinklers, and, and, and I think I'm going to be really cool and just kind of walk back, but by the time I get about, you know, 15 yards in, man, I am running back to my car, you know? And, and you never know what's out there. Have you seen the wild turkeys? We've been, they're fast. <laughs> and, and we also have coyotes out here every once in a while. I mean, Jordan's even scared of the coyotes, so I'm just saying. And then there's the zombies that could be out there. You just never know what's going to happen. And so I'm a fan of the light. And I don't know whether it was harsh potty training growing up or not. I don't know what it was, but I want to have as much light on as I possibly can. But there's something unique about this statement that Jesus says, that I am the light of the world. And like I said, the background is fascinating. We're going to get into this. But before we start today, I just want to have a word of prayer with you. So would you pray with me? Father God, tis the season. We're just a, a short week away from Christmas and celebrating you entering our world, Emmanuel, God with us, man. It is unbelievable to, to think about this story and, and, and the depths that you went just to rescue us. And we are so grateful. And I just pray no matter what is happening in our lives this week, no matter where we are, no matter what is going on, that we will just stop for a moment and sense you and thank you and be grateful for all that you are doing. Father, I just pray that you'd speak through this passage today and that you would just give us an, another sense of who you are. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to go through a ton of Scripture today, just kind of going to read through almost all of John chapter 7 and some of uh, John chapter 8. And I love the picture of, of what is happening here as Jesus is, is, is coming in and just kind of establishing himself of what the kingdom is going to be like. And so we're just going to jump in, in in John chapter 7, verse 1. It says this, After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. So that's the, that's the background right now, okay? The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, the, Jew, the, the religious elite, are plotting to kill Jesus. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. And again, in our culture, in what we live in Western America here, we... we Christianity is, is we don't understand some of these festivals and things, so I started studying about these festivals, and it was absolutely amazing. There's actually seven festivals that the, the Jewish people go through. The very first one is Passover, and most of us are kind of familiar with Passover. 
That's, that's actually the time that, you know, Jesus uh, in a, had the Last Supper in the upper room. It was his, his last festival that he ever attended because he was killed during that time. And so we, we understand that one, and that's the one that's actually first in the year. But this one, this, this felt, the shelters, the festival of shelters is actually the very last festival that they have. It comes after the harvest season, so it's late in the fall, and, and so they're going to celebrate. And this one's huge. God instituted all these at Mount Sinai. He said, here's what I want you to celebrate. Here's what I want you to do. And this is one of those, those festivals that, that people would need to pilgrimage to. So if you were living outside of Jerusalem, you would actually come back to Jerusalem and, 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 and celebrate this. And what they would do, this is fascinating, what they would do is they would come back to Jerusalem and they would not stay in houses, hotels or anything. They would actually make up shelters, hence the Festival of Shelters. They would make these makeshift shelters out of sticks and wood and leaves and, and you name it, and that's where they would stay. And if you owned a house in Jerusalem, you would do the same thing. You would not stay in your house for this entire week. You would build one of these shelters either on your, or your flat roof or out in your yard, and that's where you would stay. It was the original Woodstock. <laughs> and the young people out here saying, what's a Woodstock, you know? <laughs> what are you talking about? But they would. They would come in and they would stay here. And it, was, it, it was the biggest celebration that we had, and it would last seven days, and depending on how you look at it, seven or eight days. It was a, an amazing festival. And some scholars actually believe it was during this festival that Jesus was actually born, okay? So that's kind of the backdrop here. So once again, soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. You have to read this piece of scripture kind of snarky. They're, they're actually sarcastic. They're kind of goading Jesus, if you will, saying, you know, hey, if you're so great, you, what you need to do is this. You need to go show your, your miracles. You think you're actually the son of God, because none of his, his family actually believed who he said he, he actually was. And, and because he came from Galilee... The, sad, the, the Pharisees and the religious elite didn't think he could possibly be the Messiah because of where he came from. They looked down upon the Galilean Jews, and we're going to see that here in just a little bit. Verse 6, Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on, I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But Jesus actually ends up going to this, and, and, which is kind of confusing, but what Jesus is actually saying here is not yet my time. It, I, I'm not going yet. I'm not going with you, and I'm not going to go publicly. And remember, he knows that these, these Jewish leaders are out to, to catch him and, and, and imprison him and kill him. Verse 10, but after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus also went, though secretly, staying out of the public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. They expected Jesus to be here. They thought if he was any kind of rabbi, if he was any kind of person, that he was going to be at this festival. So they've got the guards out looking for him to arrest him and actually take, take him into custody. And it's one of those things that, that Jesus is not only prepared for, but it's amazing what he does, just, just this whole story as he's, as he's talking to these people and, and coming alongside of them. And Jesus ends up speaking at the festival, and he actually says that this. He says that I am, I am the, uh, the living water, that anyone who comes to me will never thirst. And it's fascinating why he says this, because there's this ritual they do every day of this festival, that the, the Pharisees, the leading priest, would go down to the, the pool of Shalom, 
actually where Jesus did some miracles, they would take a pitcher and they would fill it with water out of the pool of Shalom. And then they would parade and, and have a processional all the way back to the altar in the tabernacle. And they would take this water and they would pour it on the tab, on, onto the altar, symbolizing the water that, that, that God gave them as they were wandering out in the desert for all these years. And here's what they would sing. We are drawing water from the fountain of salvation. And Jesus stands up and says, I am the living water. He's starting to, to set this whole course up where he's at. He says this, on the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty, notice that, anyone. This was a very exclusive religion to the Jews. They thought they were the, the set out people, and Jesus is already starting to turn the tide of this whole thing. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And here there's people, these people at this festival celebrating what God has delivered them from out in the, in the wandering as they were moving from place to place. And, and they, they remember the water that, that God gave them to survive. And they, pour this, they take this pitcher of water and they pour it on the altar and Jesus is declaring that I am that living water. The story goes on. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? Listen to what they said. We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. They said, have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Nicodemus is the one that, that Jesus tells that you must be born again. Is it legal to convict a man before he is giving a hearing, he asked. And then they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. They're looking down upon Galilee, and they say, search the scriptures. Does any prophet ever come to Galilee? Actually, yes. Jonah and Elijah. <laughs> They are so, they have so much disdain for these people, these Jews in Galilee, they can't see past what God is doing. That they're blinded by what, it, what is happening. They're blinded by what they want to be happening here. And then Jesus has an encounter, very famous, the one we've talked about recently, of, of this, this woman who was caught in adultery. We're on John chapter 8 now. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he... He was back again at the temple. So he's left for the night, come back. It's at the very end of, of this festival. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So Jesus stood up already and said that he is the living water. The festival is just winding down. It's in the last hours of this festival and they bring this woman to Jesus. They're still trying to catch him. They're still trying to trip him up. They're still saying, Jesus, there's, we are so tied to the law that you've got to make a decision here. They're trying to trap him into saying that there's something different than the law. They're so caught up in, in, in what their belief system is. They don't even see what is happening, what God is doing right in front of them. And this woman is here, and Jesus stoops down. He writes something in the dirt. And he finally says, Yes, that's what the law says. And if you are without sin, you may throw the first stone. And scripture tells us that 
they started dropping their stones from the oldest to the youngest. And the only one sitting there that day that could have actually stoned this woman because he had no sin was Jesus. And he chose not to. That's kind of the backdrop before our verse. But there's still more. During this festival, there's this thing called the celebration of light. And in the temple, in the courtyard, there were four candelabras that were 75 feet tall. They had four basins on each of them, so it kind of looked like a cloverleaf up there. And they would climb up every day, and they would put 10 to 20 gallons in each one of these basins, okay? And they would take wicks made out of old priest clothes, and they would make a wick there, and they would light them. And at night, it was said that they would light all of Jerusalem. There, there wasn't a courtyard in Jerusalem that would not be lit from this. Celebration of light. And, and, and what would happen is they would dance, and they would, they would parade around with torches and things. And what they were remembering was when, when Moses was in, wandering with them in the desert, how God showed up in a pillar of fire and led them. So picture that, these, these huge candelabras out here. And even more than that, it was what they represented, what they knew that they represented. When Solomon built the first temple, it said that, that God inhabited it, and it, 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 it glowed inside. They didn't need any light in there because of God's Shekinah glory. And so during the celebration, they would, they would talk about God's Shekinah glory. And then there was also one more thing that they celebrated with this light. It's called the Hear Gadol, and it was the coming light, the light that was promised the light that, that God said, I'm going to come and rescue the world. It's going to be the, he's going to be the Messiah. It was prophesied 700 years before in Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future, listen to this, when Galilee of the Gentiles, already predicting that this Messiah is going to come from Galilee, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So during this celebration of this festival of, of lights, this celebration of light, they would talk about God's Shekinah glory and the Hear Gadol, the when he's going to come again, when God was going to come and rescue. It was all about the Messiah. They were waiting and looking for this great light that was going to come and rescue them. They were anticipating this, the Messiah. And it's, the end of the, it's at the end of the festival, and these great lights would have been dimming. The woman was caught in adultery, was just forgiven. The Pharisees, absolutely humiliated by what Jesus says. And then Jesus goes to the steps of the court of women. The steps of the court of women, where anyone could be. See, the temple was, was, was designed where there's only certain places where the, the Jewish people could be. And then there was the, the, the actual temple where only the, the Pharisees and the religious elite could be. And then there was the Holy of Holies where only one priest could enter. But Jesus is actually talking in this place called the Court of Women where anybody from any thinking, any, any race, any you name it could be there. Jesus has that kind of audience here. And this is what he says in John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life.
there would have been absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind what Jesus was saying. That he was the Messiah. That he was the one that they have been waiting for. That he is the one that God had sent. He's saying and declaring to everybody, I am the Messiah. And John wants to make sure that we understand this. He actually starts out this whole book by saying this in John chapter 1.1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is a true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John wants us to make sure that we understand who this is, this Jesus, the light of the world. He wants to make sure there's the, the, his readers, these Jewish readers of, the, of this book from the very beginning knew and understood exactly who Jesus was. God himself coming to earth to live amongst us, Emmanuel well. And Jesus starts, what Jesus does is absolutely amazing and astounding. He ushers in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He says time and time again, the kingdom of heaven is here, the kingdom of heaven is here on earth as it is in, in heaven, that he's going to establish a kingdom, and it's not a kingdom like they were expecting. It's not a kingdom like anybody ever thought. It was going to be this upside-down kingdom that was all about serving. It was all about loving. It was all about changing up the status quo. Religion was never going to be the same again. Jesus changes everything. And he sets up on a mountain one time and, and gives the most famous sermon that we have in all of Scripture the Sermon on the Mount, and, and, and Jesus says that, that God blesses the poor, the people who are outcasts, the people who, who don't seem to belong, that they realize that they, they, they need him, and that is who he is here for, and that's who we need to be here for, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He said God blesses those who mourn, who are heartbroken, who are, need healing, that he will come alongside of them that they will be comforted. He says God blesses those who are humble, the ones who don't think too highly of themselves, the ones who don't think that they have it all together, that they're the ones to be looked up for like the Pharisees did and the religious elite. They thought they had all the answers. And Jesus is saying, no, it's about the humble people who understand and care that they will inherit the earth. Because God... God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are always looking out for others, the needs of others, the ones who, who are merciful, who care so deeply for those who are on the outskirts, who are on the outside, who are downtrodden, that they will be shown mercy. Jesus says that God blesses those whose hearts are pure, the ones who understand their motives. Why am I doing this? I'm just not jumping through the hoops to look good, that I, that I have have this pure heart. What is my motive? Why am I doing all this? And then God blesses those who work for peace. Reconciliation. 
Jesus is instituting this upside-down kingdom that's all about mercy, that's all about generosity, that's all about reconciliation of relationships. He says that God blesses those who are persecuted. And there are people all over the world right now who can't do what we do because they're being persecuted. They'd be killed for going to church or owning a Bible. And it's still happening. And Jesus says this is what the kingdom is all about. It's about justice. It's about the poor. It's about the needy. It's about the people who are disadvantaged. It's about the people who need a hand up. It's about those who we can come alongside of. And he ushered in this unbelievable kingdom. This kingdom is going to last forever. That he is restoring as we speak. And we get to be a part of all that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we close today. We're going to sing one last song. But I, I want you to understand when he ushers in this kingdom, he knows that he's not going to be here forever. But he knows that this kingdom is going to last and this kingdom is going to change people. And this kingdom is going to, to do amazing, amazing things. And him declaring who the light of the world actually is he knows that he's going to be gone, and he says, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to send you the counselor. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he, and he gives us the ability to be the light. Here's what he says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, now you, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He's saying that I am the light of the world. But in this kingdom now that I am gone, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and now you, us, we as a church, you as an individual, are the light of the world. And that we get to go out and we get to hang with people. We get to come alongside people who are broken. We get to come alongside of people who need mercy. We get to come alongside those who are disadvantaged. That's what this kingdom is all about. That we get to make a difference in people's lives. Maybe your neighbors, maybe your family, maybe your co-workers. We are now the light of the world. And we get to reflect the light that Jesus gives us. Because it's all about him. And the very last part of that verse says, so that, you will, that they will praise your heavenly Father. That's why we exist. That is why we are here. And the world we know right now that we are living in needs that light more than ever. It's a very dark place. And it's us reflecting what Jesus has, his light, to those who can comfort, who can change everything. And whatever chaos you are in right now, whatever the world looks like to you, whatever is happening in your life, Jesus not only wants to be the light for you, but he wants you to reflect his light to others who are living in that kind of darkness. The light is still shining as bright as ever through each and every one of us. And the song that the worship team is going to sing talks about a world that is waiting for a miracle. It talks about a world that is looking for hope. 
about people who are hungry. Who don't know where to turn. That they are waiting and they are praying. And you and I can be the light of Jesus to each and every one of them. Jesus says, I am the light of the world.